Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. Well, last week we started a series that is an overview of the Bible, and I gave you kind of a quick flyby of the entire Old Testament, and today I'd like to go back through the Old Testament and start looking into things a little bit more deeply. It'll take us a couple weeks or a couple podcasts to get through the whole Old Testament, and today we'll probably only cover the first chapters of Genesis. So... Last week, we talked about the theme and the storyline of the Bible, and we said that the the overarching storyline of the Bible is that God created humans for his glory and to be in relationship with him, but that relationship was broken through sin, and so the rest of the Bible shows the story of how God is bringing humans back into relationship with him. So then the overall theme of the Bible is how can humans return to this God who made them and loves them? And I think right away this raises a few questions about God, and so I wanted to touch on them briefly. The first question is, why did God create in the first place? The Bible tells us in many places that God created for two reasons, for his glory and for his pleasure. So first, when we say that God created for his pleasure, that doesn't mean that he created for his amusement, but rather that he finds pleasure in creating. So as he creates, that is something that brings him joy and brings him pleasure. And another thing about God is that he finds pleasure in relationship. So as he's creating, it's natural for him to create beings that he could be in relationship with. He already is in relationship within the Trinity. And so he didn't need to create beings to be in relationship with. But that is something that brought him joy, brought him pleasure. So also, when we talk about God's glory, that God created for his glory, we kind of have this feeling of, is it right for God to be seeking his own glory? And we have to understand that God, as the creator, as the owner of everything, he is the highest being. He is God. So he alone is the one who deserves glory. And so it's appropriate then for him to work towards his own glory. So I know that could be a little bit of a difficult theological point, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot deeper than that, but just to give you a little taste of why it is appropriate for God to work toward his own glory. The second question then that I think we need to answer before we start, since we've already introduced the idea, is that God created humans for a relationship. The relationship was broken through sin. So Did God know that humans would sin? And if he did, why did he still create them? So we do need to say that God did know that humans would sin. One of God's attributes or characteristics is that he is all-knowing. He knows everything, past, present, and future. He knows that humanity would fail and sin. But he also knew that this was the best possible way to display all of his attributes. And as a result receive the most glory. So God knows 
all possible worlds. He knows everything possible that could happen. And therefore, he knows that the world he has chosen is the best possible world. He knows that this is the world in which his glory would be displayed the best. God has many different attributes, many different characteristics, and the way that this world is structured allowed all of them to be displayed. We can see his justice and his wrath. And yes, those are attributes of God, and those are important to be displayed. But we can also see his mercy and his redemption. Without sin, we wouldn't have justice and wrath, and we would also not have mercy and redemption. And of course, we also see his great love. So God created to show his glory, and he chose the best storyline that would display that glory. So now let's actually start looking at the Old Testament and see how the story does that. So we start in Genesis chapter 1, and in chapter 1 and expanded in chapter 2, we see God creating the world. And after every act of creation, God says, it is good. Then when he creates humans, he says they are very good. And this makes sense in light of what we just talked about, that God is a relational God. So when he created this relational being, it was very good. So we also see that after God created, the Garden of Eden is perfect. It's a picture of harmony and beauty and peace. It is perfection. But unfortunately, it doesn't last long. And you probably know the story of Satan tempting Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Eve giving it to Adam as well, and immediately things are broken. Immediately sin enters into the world, and the perfect peace and harmony that reigned is gone. So immediately here we have the crisis of our story introduced. God created the world to be a place of perfection and peace, and now that is gone and broken as a result of sin. So the rest of the Bible from here on out is about finding a solution to the problem. It is about restoring the peace and perfection that is found in the Garden of Eden. Now, I think it's interesting that Adam and Eve immediately try to create their own solution to this problem. It says in Genesis 3, 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. So their solution is to make clothes. And it's pretty clear immediately that this is not even close to an actual solution for any problem. God comes down to them and asks what they have done. And he reveals the true extent of the destruction that sin has brought as he says these curses that have come upon them as a result of this sin. But... He also offers them hope. When God is speaking to the serpent, he is saying the curse that is falling upon the serpent is the result of this temptation. And he says, this is Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, there is someone who will come, who will crush sin who will crush Satan and though he also will be hurt that's why it says you will strike his heel he will crush sin so that is this offer of hope 
Now, he also goes on to make them clothes. And I think it's interesting to see this, that Adam and Eve tried to create their own solution by creating clothes. And I think that God is, again, this is a foreshadowing of him saying, the solution must come from me. So he makes them clothes. He makes them better clothes as a, as a way to say, the solution will come from me. So if we move on in Genesis then, chapter 4 is the story of Cain and Abel. So again, we have a story of the effects of sin and immediately how that has brought death into the world. Then if you keep going on in Genesis chapter 5, you find a genealogy. Now, most people don't really like to read genealogies. And what I found is that when you read through them, you have to be looking for something in particular. I've heard some teaching from Mark Yarbrough, who has a class um, that you can access online if you're interested, uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary. It is on the storyline of the Bible. And one of the things that he points out is that in this genealogy, it every single person, it talks about these person, and it says at the end, and he died. So talking about Seth, Seth lived a total of 912 years, then he died. Enosh lived a total of 905 years, then he died. Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. He said here, he's repeating, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. And this is reinforcing the fact that sin brought death. Every single person died. This shows us the effects of sin. It's showing us how significant this first sin is. Every one of these people who was intended to live in perfection and peace has died. And not only do we have death, but we also have sin increasing, wickedness increasing. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter 6 when we have the flood. Not much is said about what happens between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 other than that wickedness increased on the earth. It says in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So there's something that we can glean from this. And I think that every period of the Old Testament, every period of the Bible, all these different incidents that the Bible tells us set up for us our inability to save ourselves and our need for God to save us. In the pre-flood world, we have man trying to do it alone. It was sort of an every man for himself society. And what happened? Violence, corruption, wickedness. Alone, humanity is not able to do good. So here we have our first setup. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Humans cannot do good based just on our own human intuition, our own human conscience, we need God. So God, it says the Lord regretted that he made human beings. And this regret is not 
like we would have regret where you look at something you did and say, oh man, I would have made a different choice if I had, if I could do it over. God knows everything. So he knows that the choice he has made is correct. This is more like a deep sorrow that humanity has gotten to this point. So God can feel sorrow, even if he doesn't feel like he would have made a different decision. So we have the flood. Humans are destroyed, except for Noah and his family, and then they are commanded afterward to repopulate the earth. And afterward, something else happens that's very significant, and that is that God makes a covenant with Noah. I want to pause for a minute and talk about covenants, because God uses covenants several times throughout the Bible to demonstrate that he alone is the solution to the problem. So a covenant is a contract between two parties where they agree to do something. They have promises and responsibilities. So it's a promise that one party will do something for the other if certain stipulations are met. And actually, there's two kinds of covenant, one with stipulations and one without. So there's a type of covenant that is conditional. It means that one party will do something for the other party, but there are certain things that the other party has to do in order to receive those benefits. So a good example is like your phone company. A lot of times you have it sign a contract that says something like, I will stay with this phone company for two years, and if I meet that condition, they will provide me certain benefits, and that is phone service. And if you break the contract, there's usually a penalty and usually you have to pay some money. So that's an idea of a conditional covenant or a conditional contract. Um, we don't have as many unconditional contracts in our society, but you can think about like parenting. That when we parent, when we say to our children, I will love you no matter what. Now I have a five-year-old and she does things, I mean, she's a great kid, but you know, all kids do things like throwing tantrums. Well, even when you're throwing a tantrum, and I'll even say this to her when she's throwing a tantrum, I still love you. This tantrum does not take my love away from you, even though I am upset right now with you, or I want you to change your behavior or whatever. I will still love you. That's unconditional. That is an unconditional covenant between me and her. So, when God makes this covenant with Noah, it is unconditional. God says, I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter what you do. I will never do it again. It's not based on any merit of Noah. It even extends to other humans and other animals. And the rainbow is a sign of this covenant. So when we see a rainbow, I think that it means more than just that God won't destroy the earth. It's a sign of his faithfulness. It is a reminder that he is the solution to our sin problem. He alone can provide this solution. Well, after the flood, humanity tries to govern itself again. This time, they are organized. The people of the earth come together. They're on the plains of Shinar, and they work together and decide to build a tower that will reach up to the heavens. It says in Genesis 11:4, let us make a name for ourselves. And for a long time, I wondered what this meant exactly. If you have all the people in the earth in one place, who are they trying to make a name for themselves 
before. Like, who is going to know this name? And it just recently struck me that it was God. That humanity was trying to say to God, listen, we don't need you. We can do it ourselves. We can govern ourselves and we can take care of ourselves. We can provide our own solution to the sin problem. So God comes down and confuses their languages. He creates multiple languages so they can't communicate anymore. So again, we have man's attempt to fix the sin problem by banding together. And God says, it's not going to work. You cannot fix your own problem. You cannot fix the sin problem. And so he scatters them across the earth. Now, I just want to make a little side note as a linguist and as a Bible translator that I don't actually think the creation of language is a bad thing. And again, God knew that he was going to create multiple languages. And I don't think that the creation of languages was the world falling apart. There is strength in diversity, and so there's strength in having all these different languages and different ways of expressing things. It's really more than I can explain here. I think it's really interesting, but you'll have to keep keep an eye out for a future blog post or a future podcast where I want to talk more about the Tower of Babel and the beauty of the creation of language and how that will be reflected at the end of time, how language will be reflected. So anyway, just a little side note that you will have to learn more about at another time. So the point is really that we have another ineffective attempt to fix the sin problem. And it leaves us again wondering, how will we find a solution? So I'm actually going to leave you hanging for now. I'm going to leave you here. And in the next podcast, we'll talk about the next development in the story. How does God continue to lead his people toward a solution? And the next development is that God chooses one man, one family, one people group that will carry the promise of a future savior. So we'll talk more about that in the next podcast. But I hope for now, what you've learned from this podcast is that God created the earth to display his, his glory. He knew that sin would happen, but he knew that this storyline of scripture would best display his glory. So he created a world of perfection and peace, which was broken by sin. But though it was broken, God was leading us toward a solution. He showed us that man on our own, humanity on its own, could not find that solution. He showed us after the flood that humanity, by creating a one world government, could not find the solution. The solution would only be found in himself. So we will look forward to hearing more about that solution as we continue on. Thank you for listening to Building a Bridge to God's Word, and I hope you will join us again next time. 